Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Morning. We are in the Christmas season. And I just wanted to say that I love that it's the Christmas season and not just Christmas Day. We get to enjoy this for a number of weeks, the preparation, the anticipation. And I know it can be a little bit of a drag. You wake up one day and you realize that I've got so much to do uh, by such and such a date. And we've got to have it done before Christmas. You've got to have, you know, there's travel things, uh, travel plans to, that are uh, worked in the middle of all that. And... Uh, I even love, Jake, Christmas music. Not all of it. And I heard this years ago. You probably did too. I might have even said it recently. But uh, this is the time of year when the secular stations play sacred music and the Christian stations play religious music. Uh, and it's true. And in the grand scheme of things, I know this is a tiny concern. But let me give you, a, let me put it into perspective the way I see this. You know, last week, we did a little bit of a history lesson talking about how the celebration of Christmas came about, how it was a pagan holiday, and that it was turned into a celebration of Christ's birth. And my whole thesis really boiled down last week to the fact that the birth of Christ, as I already mentioned during the communion meditation, is worth celebrating. We don't know the date, but we do know it happened. So big deal. We co-opted a secular holiday and turned it into a Christian holiday, and I think uh, that it's a beautiful uh, example of redemption, took something and redeemed it, something even uh, pagan, even profane, and turned it into something sacred. And most people, I mean, to the point where most people have to be informed, have to be educated to even know about the pagan roots. It's Christmas now. It's right there in the name. I mean, we own this thing now. <laughs> we should. And uh, now, Coming back to the music for a second. If I hear songs about winter, I don't have a problem. I love winter, the season, okay, apart from Christmas. Christmas is where my heart really is, but I love the snow. I love the cold. So when somebody sings, let it snow, sleigh ride, jingle bells, whatever, I, it still, you know, kind of warms my heart. But it has, not, has, has nothing to do with the Christmas holiday. But man, when you look at the decorations, the lights, the imagery... Even the sales, the themes, even if people cave in and say happy holidays or season's greetings, I smile because I know what holiday they're talking about. I know what season they're talking about. You can't fool me. Like I said, we own this thing. This is Christmas, baby, whether you realize it or not or recognize it or not or acknowledge it or not. So then when I hear a Christian radio station whose mission is supposed to be sharing the gospel and the love of Christ with the world play chestnuts roasting on an open fire or white Christmas, it just kind of galls me. And meanwhile, a secular station will play Oh Holy Night because Mariah Carey recorded it or something like that. And that's fine. It's not a hill to die on. It's not, okay? But it is kind of a fun way to introduce the first real message in this series. The series is called The Gift Exchange, as I introduced last week, and today's message is New Lives for Old. And let's remember that as we have journeyed through the Bible over the last few years, there has been this constant struggle we read about with man trying 
to please God or, more often than not, not caring one way or the other. And we go back to the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation of the serpent, the devil, and they died. They died spiritually. They became separated from God. And I've said this many times before, and I always try to be careful to give credit to Fuchsia Pickett, from whom I first heard it. Everything from that point on, everything else in the Bible after Genesis chapter 3, is a record of the remedy to the fall. How do we get back right with God? And for those of you who've been here the last five years, this is a review, but the law as given to Moses, including the Ten Commandments, was never meant to be a solution to the sin problem. It took centuries for them to realize this, and they only fully realized it after the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But the law was meant to show mankind just how far he had fallen from his created state. This is really the import of when Jesus talked about the law and when he said, uh, two two examples, you have heard it said, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that if you look at a woman in order to lust after her, you have already committed adultery in your heart. You've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I tell you, if you hate your brother and call him an empty-headed fool, you have committed murder in your heart. You see, he's telling us the problem is not how well or how poorly we control our impulses. We celebrate that. Mankind celebrates that. Here's a person of great self-control. No matter how offended, no matter how mad, no matter how lustful, no matter how greedy, he keeps his impulses under control and doesn't act on them. And Jesus is saying the problem is those impulses exist in you at all. You weren't, mankind was not created with that kind of anger, with that kind of lust, with that kind of greed, with those kinds of weaknesses. We have fallen far from our created state. The problem is with us. We are wretched. We are sinful. And the solution is not. The solution has never been just do this and all will be well. God will be pleased. Everything will be all right. So when Jesus came, it wasn't merely to show us how to live. He did that all right. But the fact remains that we are inherently, by nature, unable to live like that. The death Adam died when he sinned was worked out eventually into his physical death. And that was passed on to all of us. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And there's a twofold meaning. Sin is punishable by death and sin itself pays the, wage, uh, sin itself pays, pays the wages of death. This is the reward for sin that sin itself offers. And Jesus came to teach to preach, to heal, to deliver, and model the perfect life. But more than all this, he came to die. He took our sinful lives, our sin itself, and he owned it. And allow, uh, that allowed God to judge him, to pour out all of his righteous wrath on him at the cross. And then Jesus rose from the dead and offers a new life. Let's look back at a very famous passage in John chapter 3. And we'll begin in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. That's pretty straightforward. You don't need to, to do better. You just need a new life. You need a new you. You remember the, uh, anybody remember that Saturday Night Live character, Stuart Smalley? What did he always say? What was his affirmation at the end? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And the Bible, which is ultimately the most life-affirming, the most affirming book in existence, actually says you on your own, by your efforts, by yourself, will never be good enough. Doesn't sound very affirming on the surface, right? But the essential material is damaged. It's not just what you're doing with the material. The material is damaged. You need to be good enough. But in order to do that, you need to be a new you. That is the miracle of the new birth. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says this, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, which you once walked according to the course, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of, the fl- of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you, are, you have been saved and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We were dead, but Christ has made us alive. In Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, is that really the way it is for us? And what, besides what we just read about the new birth, did Jesus say? I mean, didn't he just say to his disciples, and doesn't he by extension say to us, doesn't he just simply say, hey, follow me? Let's look in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 24. Jesus, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Now, this self-denial looks different from many other forms of self-denial. Sadly, even after the resurrection, uh, after the growth of the early church and down through history, there have been countless people who continue to strive to please God by denying themselves comfort, food, shelter, uh, any kind of pleasure, this mortification of the flesh, this extreme asceticism where people just torture themselves because that's the only way they can think of to practice self-denial. You know, that's, well, we're going to have a, a year beginning fast again this year. And I always try to remind you that, that, this, that a fast, a, a Christian fast, a fast that pleases God, isn't about punishing ourselves and making life unpleasant for us as if somehow God takes pleasure in that. That's not what Jesus talked about when he said, take up your cross. That whole message is about lordship. We'll get there in just a second. Jesus, quite to the contrary, says that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. Now, how can we deny ourselves? How can we take up our cross and still claim by faith the abundant life? I'm going to tell you, even though most of you know. Uh, and I'm always looking for different ways to illustrate this. And there's never a perfect illustration, but um, I don't know. Uh, we talked about this. It might be appropriate considering uh, the uh, proximity to the Pearl Harbor attack that we just acknowledged. But pre-World War II and even in World War II, you know, we, this, uh, the attitude of especially white-collar America to the idea of a career in the military was uh, it was a very negative one. Successful businessmen tended to steer their sons away from the military. It was considered, uh, you know, the, the whole idea. Now, there was not much money in it. If, if you're interested in having a good financial future, the military was a pretty, uh, uh, pretty bad way to make a living. The whole idea that you couldn't call your mind and your body your own, you weren't in charge, somebody else was always in charge of you. As, a, as one character put it in the novel, The Cane Mutiny, it's a third-rate career for third-rate people. But the people who did it became known as what? The greatest generation. There was honor there, wasn't there? And they continue to inspire young men and women to make similar sacrifices and achieve great things. Now, suppose your dream, your idea of freedom, your idea of success is to live on a boat and just enjoy the sea. You've got yourself a nice boat. It's a well-equipped boat. And you spend the vast majority of your time just floating, sailing, fishing, whatever. And then you realize that the, enemy, the, the waters are becoming infested with uh, people on boats who want to do you harm. There's an enemy out there now. And instead of relaxing and fishing, you're dodging torpedoes. And you decide, well, I want to fight this. I, I want to fight. I want to get back to having my life and enjoying my pleasures. But then you realize you're not equipped to do it. And you're starting to panic. You realize I can't do this on my own. The enemy's too strong. And then you open your eyes one day and there's the biggest ship you've ever seen. And you look around and you realize it's just part of a carrier group. You've suddenly got, you're surrounded by the U.S. Navy and they say, hey, come on board. Join us. Because we've got the biggest, baddest weapons. We've got a place for you to sleep. You'll be protected. You'll be surrounded by people uh, who, who, with a similar mission. And there will be honor. You will be rewarded with honor if you do this job. 
And at this point, you say, all right. They say, we're going to provide you with the skills. We're going to provide you with the resources to fight this enemy that has uh, disrupted your life. And you say, all right. And you start, you get on board and you start lunging for the big guns. And you start trying to shoot these things. And you start telling the admiral, here's what I want. Thanks for the offer. Thanks for bringing me on this ship. Now do this for me, admiral. And then somebody grabs you and says, hey, son, this ain't how it's going to work. You didn't let us finish. If you're going to be a part of this, you don't get to be in charge anymore. You were in charge on your little boat, but you see where it got you. If you're going to be on this big boat with all these resources, you don't get to be in charge anymore. You're going to have a specific rank, and you're going to have a specific job to do, and we will tell you how to do it, and we'll tell you when to do it. All the resources, all the skills, and all the opportunities come from above. But you get to enjoy them. And you get to apply them. You just have to let us shape you into the kind of sailor we need you to be to fight this war. And I think, I'm convinced actually, that we approach, sometimes we approach our salvation this way. We finally get to the point where we realize we can't do this life by ourselves. The struggles are too big, they're too real, they're too painful, and we realize we're too weak. And we cry out for a Savior, and we want to get saved. We want the, uh, the assurance of heaven. Maybe hell has become a reality to us. And then we want to use God's resources when God steps into our story and we receive the gospel and we are relieved at the, at the, the assurance we have the salvation, the forgiveness, then suddenly we want to use God's resources to pursue our dreams and our plans. Thank you for saving me, God. Now do this for me. Now do this for me. Now do this for me. And God says, hold it, pal. That's not the way it works. You see, in order to save you from everything that you needed saved from, I had to buy you. I had to purchase you. And the price was the life and blood of Jesus Christ, my son. You were expensive. And if you're going to enjoy the benefits of salvation, and they are great, but if you're going to enjoy them, you have to acknowledge that I own you now. Now, don't worry. I bought you for the purpose of turning you into somebody that is much greater than the you that you can imagine. The life I have for you is a life of abundance. It's a life of honor. It's a life of healing. It's a life of favor, of significance. It's just not yours anymore. It's mine. Are we okay with that? You know, the verse that I almost always quote in my altar call, Romans 10.9, says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a super important part. Because we're not just confessing his existence. When, we, when it says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not just saying, I agree, Jesus Christ lived and ministered and died and rose from the dead. You're acknowledging his lordship. That's what that confession is. That's the bowing of the knee. We are acknowledging his claim to us as his. God gave the gift of Jesus 
Jesus gave his life. God gives us the gift of new life. But this is a gift exchange. What can we give him in return? This is one of the themes of the Christmas program, by the way. What can we give him in return? The only thing we have to give him at that point is our old life. And you see what the Bible says about our old life. It shouldn't be such a hard decision, but it is. Because we have to give up control. We have to give up ownership. We have to give up self-direction. And we love our lives, don't we? That's why this is so hard. And God lets you in on the ugly little secret. That life you're so attached to, it's doomed. Already as good as dead. You carry death around with you in your old life. So here's God's offer. I want to give you a new life, an abundant life, a meaningful life. So let's take the old life, the old you, and let's bury you. Let's move forward with that new life, a life where your past is forgiven, where your sins are remembered no more. It's starting to sound like a good deal. The life God invites us to is a life of righteousness, peace, Enjoy life where you don't have to wonder if you're on the right path because God says, I'll be there with you on the path and I'll guide you through life. Just remember, I'm in charge, not you. I want your life. I mean, when God comes to us and says, what do you want? We know the right answer at salvation, when we have come to the point where we need a Savior and we know we need a Savior, we always needed a Savior. But when, and most of us have come to that point, maybe everybody in this room has come to that point where we know I need to be saved. I'm not saved. If I were to die right now, I'm going to hell. I believe that now and I want to go to heaven. I don't want my life to be meaningless. I don't want to, I, now that I am convinced that God exists, now that I'm convinced that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, and that he came to die for me, I want that. I need that in my life. And God says, what do you want? And you say, I want forgiveness. I want eternal life. I want to be born again. And God says, there. It's yours. And then later he comes to us, what do you want? Well, I want, and we start asking for things that have very little to do with his lordship. With our salvation. And sometimes we need to take a step back and say, God, what do you want? Not, not necessarily as a soldier reporting for duty. Yes, sir. And there's nothing wrong with that. Get your marching orders from God. But come to him as a child saying, Daddy, what can I do for you? What can I give you? And if we come to him like that in the moment of salvation, he says, I want your life. This is the trade. This is the exchange. What you're getting is way, way better than what God's getting in this deal. It's like, what do you want my life for? Uh, so I can kill it, so I can bury it, so I can put it in the past, so that you can live fully in the life that I have for you, which is a million times better. You just can't live them both at the same time. Why would you want to hang on to that dead man, that dead woman? Let's get on with the new life. Will you give it to him? As we get closer to the day, the very day when we celebrate the gift of God's Son to the world, will you give him the gift that he wants? Will you give him your life? Praise and worship team, you can come on up here. I know it's short.
But here's the invitation. When you got saved, did you realize what you were getting into? I'm speaking to the saved people in here, the born-again people, the believers, the Christians. Did you realize what you were getting into? Did you lay down your life? This is what Jesus said. He didn't just say, follow me. He says, hey, I wants to come after me. Let him lay down his life, take up his cross, and then follow me. Is that what you had in mind when you invited Christ into your life? Now, I'm not saying that everybody knows everything at the moment of salvation. But as God's will has been revealed to you, have you embraced it? Or have you ignored it? Because very few people that I know, and I know it happens, but there's one small category of people who unfortunately, when they realize exactly what's involved in Christianity, they renounce it. Nope, I don't want anything else to do with that. Most people, as it's revealed to them, they're like, ooh, let me pray about that. Let me think about that. And then what they do instead is ignore it. I'm just going to continue on. I'm still saved. I'm still saved. I just want to live my own life. Do you know who that's exactly like? Exactly like? It's exactly like Israel in the Old Testament. Oh, God, you're still our Lord. We're just not going to live like you're our Lord, okay? But thanks for being our Lord. Thanks for being our protector. Thank you for being our judge and our savior. Now we're just going to go over here to these uh, idol parties for Baal and Molech and whoever else. And pretending that God will just ignore that and still bless him. Now again, when I was 12 years old, I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't know everything about lordship and sanctification and everything else. I just knew I needed to be saved. And I believe at that moment I was saved. But no matter where you were, when you got saved, God has continued to reveal himself. And he's continued to reveal things about you to you. You'll wake up or you'll just start thinking, wow, here's something I didn't ever realize I probably shouldn't be doing. Or here's something I should be doing that I haven't done since I got saved. And that's God working on you. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Are you going to cling to the control? Are you going to hang on to the, dry, uh, to the steering wheel? Or are you going to let God be in charge? Are you going to let him be Lord? When I give, stand up with me now because I really am getting close now and I want you to hear this. When I give an altar call, it's usually for salvation. But often, there's also a call for a recommitment or a rededication. When we hear that, it usually, in our minds, applies to the backslider. Here's somebody who got saved 20 years ago. They were in church and involved for 10 years and nobody's seen them for 10 years and now they want to come back to Christ. And that's great. It's glorious. And if you're in that category, praise God. I'll give you the opportunity to do that. But I'm not talking about somebody who has backslidden into rank sin. I'm talking to people who have been here faithfully, living decent lives. But God has shown you something today. I've never really given him my life. I believe I've received the new life, and I've called him Lord. I've never really acknowledged his ownership of me. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Maybe you did that and you forgot. It's a great place to be, to humble yourself like that. and Just kneel before him and say, God, I need to remind myself that I belong to you. So this morning, first things first, if you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord, you've never confessed him as Lord, 
expressed your belief that he that God raised him from the dead to give you the life that only he can give you if you've never been saved never been born again I want to pray with you today and as soon as I'm done ending this sermon with a prayer and as soon as they start singing come up here and let me pray that prayer with you if you would like to rededicate your life to him not because you feel you have drifted into sin but because maybe you have asserted too much direction and ownership of your own life and you just need to remind yourself and confess to God that hey you are my Lord and my God you are my King not just my Savior then the altars are open I would encourage you to do that you can do that from your seat but there's something special about making that moment something that you will remember so heavenly father thank you for your word thank you for the offer of new life and thank you lord for the constant reminder that in this great exchange the life you have given us is so much better than the life we have to give you thanks for listening we hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with christ Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.